Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I'm also presenter of the Back of the Net football show on local community radio, Meridian FM, so you can get me on at TheEaglesBeak on Twitter or at underscore BOTN Live underscore. Hi, I'm Gittos Llewellyn, Swansea City fan and contributor to the Jackcast podcast. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter at the Jackcast. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Jay, we'll start off with you. You played West Ham yesterday. What was your view of that match? Yeah, we let ourselves down live on national TV, so yeah, not a big deal. <laughs> no, I mean, returning from the international break, international break came at a bad time for us, really, because we were doing really well, playing really well. Five games unbeaten, got ourselves up to pushing seventh, eighth place in the Premier League, and uh, all was going well. Then we got an injury to Scott Dan, and we actually got through the two games for the international break uh, fine without him. We thought it was going to be a dire situation without our best centre-back, but uh, we got through the two games, and... We kind of thought that we'd get through the international break and we'll get out the other side and we'll see Scott Dan return. But unfortunately, his hamstring wasn't fit enough for him to play yesterday. It, I mean, in, in atrocious, atrocious conditions, even um, in South London, that's no excuse for the way we play. We were poor. West Ham did a job, actually. They were desperate to get that three points. Obviously, more desperate than we were to get the three points. You know, they're in a position where, you know, they've struggled at the start of the season. And Slavon Bilic did uh, a tactical job on Pardew, really, um, which, you know, which is fair play to them. They set up very well. And it's the same old story for Palace. A team comes to Sellers Park and sets up in a way that, you know, they're not going to lose a game. They're not, they, they've come to get something from the game, whether it's a point, a goal is draw, or to nick a win, and they actually went away and nicked a win. And a fair play to them, the first half, they were, they were better than us. We just couldn't get things going at all. Um, great goal from West Ham Lanzini, really well worked. Great cross by Cresswell, can appreciate that. And we can see it coming, 19th minute, and we just couldn't get ourselves going. Um, anything like we saw before the international break and kind of looked a bit lackluster. I don't know whether we underestimated West Ham a little bit, perhaps I'm not sure. Um, I find it hard to believe that we would because, you know, West Ham have talent in their side. You've only got to look at players like Payet and you've also got Cresswell came back first game back after injury. Uh, obviously good to see him back from a West Ham perspective, obviously from a Palace perspective, um, you know, he played quite well. Um, and an assist for the goal towards the end of the first half, we were given a, massive lifeline um, a penalty and it was a penalty I mean there's a foul on Wolf Zaha just outside the area by Valencia which uh, played on uh, and Benteke was taken out in the area which uh, a clear penalty um, and we thought after Benteke's exploits in uh, you know, in the European qualifier World Cup qualifiers even during the week we thought this is no you know no brainer Benteke is going to step up um, and score top you know no problem at all one all uh, of course he put it high and wide and uh, I think most of us fans kind of looked at each other thinking this isn't going to be our evening um, and literally straight after that Benteke almost made amends with a fantastic header you know what is renowned for uh, rose really well and I think it just I can't I'm not sure if Adrian I mean from from where I stand it looked like Adrian got a hand on it but I think he clipped the post as well and just went out um, so we ended 
the first half with a bit of a flurry to try and get back into the game. Second half, we played much better. We were the better side and perhaps deserved the draw out of it. But we we didn't really um, yeah, create in terms of chances in, in, a, in the final third. We huffed and puffed an awful lot. We had a great chance, a uh, header from Wickham which was saved very well by Adrian in, in the dying minutes. We had a lot of the play, but we had too many players who weren't really on, on their game at all. Benteke, probably his worst game for us in a Palace shirt in, 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 in obviously his young career with us, uh, which is unfortunate because you know, he's obviously a bit of a linchpin for us, uh, you know, being that big man up front. Um, Kabai came on at half-time actually and really made a difference to our side. And, and that's something that we haven't seen for a while because he's been on the bench for a lot this season favouring Joe Ledley and James MacArthur in the middle and, and we kind of lost the midfield battle by half time and um, changing things up really gave us a bit of space and you know Kabai kind of exploited that a lot you know with his passing qualities and um, really got stuck into the game and um, it's I think him and Puncham worked so hard to try and create something and didn't really come off I think those those probably are our two better players on night and obviously Steve Mandanda as well in, in goal uh, did very well but it was just one of those nights it wasn't going to come off for us unfortunately um, and you know our, our, our unbeaten run comes to an end which you know it's disappointing, but you know I'm not disheartened. You know, really, it's just you know the manner we lost the game. We just I think there was just too many people uh, missing in the game, and I think it'd be great to have Scott Dan back next week for our trip to Leicester. He will make a big difference to that back line. Um, we are struggling a little bit of fallback about Pap Soiree trying to cover that left back role with Martin Kelly, who's who's a right foot right footer, and for me he's more of a central defender. Anyway, so he looks a bit uh, bit clunky on that uh, in that fallback slot. We tried a young. Uh, well, I say young. He's been with us for a long time. Zeki Fryers. Kev will probably know Zeki Fryers from his time. Tottenham at, legends, uh, Zeki Fryers. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And he made uh, he made his um, Premier League debut at Sellers. But you know, his first his first um, Premier League game at uh, at Sellers came on at half time along with Kabai, double substitution. Um, but uh, I don't think he's the answer for that left back slot. And obviously, Pat Suarez has broken his leg in in, a, in an awful road accident he had a few weeks ago, so he's going to be out for a while. So I expect us to to make some uh, do some business in, uh, in in January. But yeah, like I say, disappointing loss. It's a game that we should have been looking to win if we were anything like you know if we played anything like we have done recently before international break. But we just looked we just looked a bit lackluster. It's just one of those games, really. Yeah, you mentioned Kabai there and how. He's kind of been ineffective and or not mm. playing. Do you think that your hopes this season of finishing top 10 again kind of rest on him showing up the way he has in the past? Yeah, I, I think to a lot of Palace fans, he's been quite disappointing since he joined us. You know, last season, he came in marquee signing for us, really, in, in you know not a couple of summers ago. It really was a massive signing, a player that we probably didn't expect to, to go out and spend that sort of money on. Um, but we did, brought him in, started well. Um, great first half of last season. And then, just like the rest of us, it kind of faded, you know, the rest of the players, it kind of faded away um, in, in that second half. And, you know, it wasn't only him, but he was suffering from injury, um, loss of form, like a lot of the other players as well. I think it was good to see him last night come on in that second half. He, like a lot of players that played in the Euros, seemed to be taking time to get back into the season. Uh, Payet's a great example. He wasn't particularly great yesterday. Again, um, you know, f- flashes of brilliance and, and different bits like that. But it seems to be quite a few players from the Euros that uh, are probably you know, suffering from a bit of a hangover from that, whether it's just too much football, I don't know. Kabai's had a few niggling injuries, but... 
I, I, I think he's got to be a, a focal point for us in this side. Um, I don't think we can play uh, Joe Ledley and James McArthur together. While they both protect the back, back line, which is great, and it has worked for us recently, some games it will work for us, but we, we need to be able to have a different dimension to a game. And Kabaya should be that player to give us that bit of di- you know, extra dimension when you've got the likes of Zaha in the team and Townsend in the team to pick out and obviously Benteke out front as well. I think when the addition of Benteke will help Kabai uh, a little bit and, and I, I'm hoping we, we will see him come back into the side, work his way back into the side. I'm expecting that to happen next week actually. I'm, I'm expecting to start instead of Ledley um, against Leicester next week. It, it, it's undoubted quality Kabai. He just hasn't shown it enough for us since he signed for us. And I'm really hoping he comes through this season. All right, and on to Swansea, Gitto. You played Arsenal at the Emirates, where you have a staggeringly good record. Don't come away with the three points, but a, a pretty valiant effort, I thought, in Bob Bradley's first match as your manager. Yeah, it was it was a it was a pretty mixed game. I'll be I'll, I'll be honest. It, it was um it was an entertaining one, but it, it was a strange one. Um, like you said, we 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 were quite um I don't, I don't know what I don't know if we can say we were quite confident, but the Emirates is somewhere where we've always done very, very well, even when we've not been playing particularly well. We've won there in the past, playing terribly. You know, it's it's just one of these stadiums um, that clubs have, which they enjoy playing at. And in that sense, it was really a perfect game for Bob Bradley because the expectations were very low because we were going to the Emirates. Um, on the other hand, you know, the players do know what it's like to win there. But um, the, the first half was disappointing because we, we started without um, a, a recognised striker, um, and we did look very um, cagey, quite scared um, to, to try anything. The passing wasn't very sharp. Um, and Arsenal you know, went 2-0 up, uh, and we were lucky to get that one goal back, which, which kept the game alive, really, going into the second half. Um, the goals, I mean, the first one is, is, is a bit of a defensive disaster um, with... Um, uh, the the well the ball is crossed into the box and our match just stands off of Walcott and allows him basically to get the shot away. The second one is is even worse. It's another set piece. The same problems as always. Um, where Jack Cork for some reason just misses his header completely, and then Walcott has the easiest of of goals. But then um, you know Arsenal gifted us um, our first real chance of the game. If I'm being honest, when they gave it away to Gilfie and he. He took it really well. Um, going to the second half, we thought they was alive. But again, start the second half, we were just a little bit shaky um, and, and deserved to go down 3-1 to a brilliant Ozil goal. Um, but then something, you know, so, something did click. We were we we started um, pressing back. We 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 just threw everything at Arsenal, which is probably what we should have done from the start because. Everybody knows that Arsenal will always give you chances. Um, and we go back to 3-2. Um, Shaka was sent off for what... Um, well, it, it was just a mistake. It was a definite yellow, not a red. Um, and, and we were pushing, pushing, pushing. Could have easily got um, a point. And a point would have been a fantastic result at the Emirates. But um, in the end, we did manage to get it. Arsenal probably did deserve to win it. Um, they, were, they were the better team on the day. Um, but there were some positives um, in the sense that we 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 keep we we are still scoring, um, which is not something we were doing in our bad run last season. We do have goals in this team. I mean, Gilfie um, got another one. 
Bolcha is uh, off the mark now, and, and and you know that the kind of goal that he scored is exactly what we've been lacking. If I'm honest, just a striker with. The, with, with the intelligence to, to find that space in the box and offer himself up um, so that when that cross comes in, he's, he's ready to attack it. Um, so that was very reassuring. Um, the, there were some other bright bright spots around the pitch. Barrow, after um, having his worst game for the club, probably against Liverpool, um, was our man of the match. Um, he really gave uh, Monreal a horrible time, at, uh, especially in the second half. Um, and, and I think Bob Bradley will look at yesterday's game and think, okay, I've got something I can work with here. This, you know, there is talent in this squad, um, and we've got some nicer fixtures coming up because we have had a horrible run of fixtures. Um, so hopefully, we can build on the positives, um, correct the the, the negatives, um, and hopefully now we can start picking up points against the likes of Watford, Stoke, etc. Yeah, uh, this morning there was an article floating around uh, with quotes from Gilfie Sigurdsson saying that the team is already playing under Bob Bradley. Do you think that's the case, or do you think it's more a statement on how they felt about your previous manager? I, I Well, I find it hard to believe that they could decide straight away that Bob Bradley is, you know, this this great coach. But I think it does say something maybe about um, Guidelin and, and the way he was viewed by, by the players. Um, I don't the impression we all got uh, was that there was a lack of respect towards him um, uh, among the players. They did, they they just didn't respond to him. They didn't rate him um, as a manager. Uh, I think communication was um, a, a real issue. Greenland's English wasn't perfect. Um, and I think some of the players found that quite difficult to deal with. Um, but there is definitely a feeling that the players were... Um, well, they were they weren't particularly devastated when Guidelin was was given the sack. I think they were um, pretty pretty happy to see somebody else come in. Um, they, you know, I don't know how much they can tell about Bob Bradley after just you know a, a fortnight of training, but um, hopefully they are responding to him, and hopefully um, you, you know they do, they do find his methods um, more. Um, suitable than Guidelin's because I, you know we I, I said this time and time again I don't think Guidelin was a good fit I don't think he really um, suited the club and I don't think his tactics made the best of what we have uh, at our disposal um, so hopefully yeah with Bob Bradley um, he you know we, we're hoping that he can uh, get get them feeling good again get them enjoying football again and actually. Give them a bit of freedom, if I'm honest, to to actually express themselves, which is something, well, Guidelin probably didn't do enough of uh, in his time in charge. For Tottenham, we played one of the dullest matches I've ever watched, uh, Tottenham versus West Brom. They continued to be our bogey side. They were one of only two teams last season that Tottenham did not beat in the Premier League, them and Newcastle, so... That was uh, this was actually the first time this season we had a chance to pick up points from this exact same set of fixtures from last season, uh, and we failed to take it yet again. West Brom did what West Brom wanted to do, just defend basically the whole match. Got one uh, good chance going forward after Toby Alderweireld had been hurt. They score, of course, <laughs> Nasser Chadley. I only went. 
basically everywhere that I write or talk last week and say that Chadley probably wasn't going to do much in this game and he has a lot of tough matchups coming up. And this isn't a revenge game because he got what he wanted. He got his move. He got his minutes. He got back into the Belgium team. Those were like the three things he wanted. Uh, but then he scores against us anyway. Uh, and so now I just kind of look a foolish fool. Uh, and then Del Ali gets a late goal. But I, I was very pleased with the Manchester City result, obviously, when we kind of used that muddled front line. Uh, we did not do that in this one. We played Vincent Janssen, who I was obviously very excited to see come to the club. But he is uh, very much struggling to get off to the mark, um, which has been very frustrating. He he plays fairly well. He's amazing at, at um, kind of shielding defenders and laying the ball off. But... At a certain point, you need to start scoring goals. I think we'll see Son replace him up front uh, against Leverkusen in the Champions League. But uh, there were a lot of kind of pseudo chances, but nothing really hardy until that illegal. And we need to do better than that. West Brom are a top five defense in the Premier League, unsurprisingly. But this was kind of a, a issue for us last season as well, trying to break down teams that set up to defend. And it seems like we are still struggling to figure out how to do that exactly, especially when they're as well-drilled um, defensively as Pulis sides tend to be. <laughs> a couple of funny stats that really just point to the fact that they wanted to defend. But uh, West Brom only had 30% possession, and Hugo Lloris, our goalkeeper, had more completed passes than any West Brom player. So uh, just in case anybody was wondering what the flow of that game was like, it was obviously favoring us, but... That's fine. They they allowed us to have 70% of the pitch. They were just going to set up shop in their penalty area, and it did end up shutting us down. We were without Harry Kane, no Dembele, no Danny Rose. Um, Eric Dyer has to come on for Alderweireld when he gets hurt. You can make excuses, but we're still undefeated. We're still in the top three, one point off the league lead. The one stark thing, if you look at the extended table, really is how far we are behind in goals scored. But then the defense is obviously incredible and is really our, our calling card at the moment. So I think we'll be all right. This was a frustrating match. I think we're going to know a lot more what Tottenham's objectives are going to be after we see the Leverkusen match on Tuesday. I think that's just going to really show. If we struggle in that one, we already lost to Monaco. If we lose the, the match against Leverkusen, I think it's already going to be time to start maybe focusing a bit more on the Premier League. If we win that one, maybe we'll keep seeing the squad split um, in both competitions. But uh, the biggest concern really leaving this match was more the Toby Alderweireld injury more than it was a 1-1 draw to West Brom, considering that's their goal every match, knowing that they only need 40 points to stay up if they get a draw every time. Uh, they're only two points off. And I think that stat ended up being uh, 36 was actually all you needed on average. But uh, regardless, not too bummed out. The Alderweireld injury doesn't look as bad as some thought it would. Although everybody that's uh, talking about this picture that's floating around of him playing video games without his brace on. Uh, a lot of times when you have a brace, you take it off when you're at rest. So that's not really as indicative as a lot of people think. But he did not leave the stadium on crutches, which is a good sign. My guess is that he's out for Leverkusen, maybe misses just the match at the weekend, and then is back uh, midweek following. So fortunately avoided too much of an injury there. The, the big other injury news is that Harry Kane is going to enter light training this week, probably full training next week before he returns, probably uh, in time for the Arsenal match, which would obviously be a big boost for us going forward. 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, uh, now we're going to talk about refereeing decisions a little bit. Don't worry, listeners, we feel your pain. We don't want to have to talk about this every year, but it keeps happening. There were interesting decisions made in both of your matches. The thing that really kind of forced our hand here was the matches today or Sunday as we're recording because uh, we had a referee in the first match, uh, Roger East, who failed to make any significant calls despite the fact that there were many issues that needed to be addressed, followed up by Mike Dean, who seemingly was calling anything under the sun. My question for you guys is, are you comfortable with the level of refereeing at the moment? And if not, how do you think it could be improved? No, I think it's, uh, I, I think when there's changes happen across the summer, I think it takes a little while to settle down. There's always a few weeks of uncertainty and referees making decisions that they think is right or, or, or are right. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah, we have to remember they only get one look at these instances, and sometimes you know, it's a very quick brief look you know through a crowd of players so decisions are made um you kind of see a bit of sympathy with them but i i think the problem we have kev is that you mentioned just now that referees are making different decisions on very similar instance or interpretations of those rules and that i think that's the biggest problem i mean we had, we had a good example in our game yesterday um Cresswell uh, got sent off for two. He got two yellow cards in the space of um, 60 seconds. And I, I, I said the same yesterday. It's difficult to see when you're live at a game until you actually get home um, and see the replays of it. Um, it's very hard to make a call or a judgment call from, from, from where you are in the stand. However, you have to say Cresswell was probably a bit stupid to make that foul on Zaha, however slight it was, having just been booked. You know, in that position, you just see him down the line. You don't need to be manhandling him. Um, and I just think sometimes footballers don't really have much of a brain in their head. However, the first booking probably wasn't the booking. I, I think the problem he ha- had there is that he, he, you know, he threw himself up in the air when Kabai tackled him. And he, for, for the, you know, he did he, Kabai made contact with Cresswell, and it, another day could have quite easily been a penalty. Um, but for Cresswell's reaction, you can see why he's been booked for that. But that's very harsh. And again, the second booking was very harsh. I just, I, you know, the decision by the referee in the linesman was very quick on that second yellow. A lot of the times you watch games and 
they give players a benefit of a doubt when they make a, you know a, a challenge so quickly. And it wasn't it wasn't a vicious challenge. It was it, it, it was it a booking? I mean, Alan Shearer said on the TV last night, in no way was it a foul. I, I disagree with that. It was a foul because he's, he had his arm across uh, you know the face of uh, Zaha, and it's kind of forced him off the ball and out of play. But I just. I just find sometimes I'm not sure quite what a referee see whether they get caught up in the heat at the moment. And you know, Cresswell's not, you know, he's not a dirty player. I, I felt quite sorry for him to be fair. Um, you know, regardless of you know playing against a team and you're trying to get back into the game as you know your own team. But I think you mentioned um, is it Mike Reed? It is. It's make it seems to be making decisions as close to the rule book or as close to the new changes as possible. I think his referee has been given the challenges in the area for shirt pulling and tugging and, and, and you yeah, know different he's given the like most that. penalties in the premier league this season yeah yeah exactly um and that's you know may, maybe he's the one that's doing it right you know to the letter of the law uh, and it's the other referees that aren't kind of sticking to that he seems to be the only one that's making those calls and they seem to be i mean what was it the man city stoke game i think it was the first game earlier the second game of the season i think that was and he he made two big calls in that one which you know mm. when you when, when you read the rules and and looking back now, those decisions were both correct based on you know what a change has been made. But other referees aren't doing it, which which is, which is quite bizarre. We actually had a penalty given um, to us for a shirt pull in the box uh, in the Bournemouth game, actually, uh, which which Kabai missed. Um, <laughs> it's a season of missed penalties for us, but um, to get us back into the game, and and it was a shirt pull, only slight, but it was a shirt pull, and that would never have been given last season. Um, but it was given. I can't remember the referee who it was. I think it might have been John Moss. Can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but the referees are there to be shot at. And I think this has happened before, where a few rule changes have been made in the summer, and it takes a little while to calm it down. But it, it, it's, there's no consistency again, is there? There really isn't at all across across the board referees. I and mean, I think we said before we come on air that. You know, it seems to be that you know are these referees all in the same meeting before the season starts? <laughs> Clearly, they must be in different rooms because the referees are making so many so many different judgment calls. Um, I agree, it's a it's a hard it's a very hard job, no doubt about it, because yeah, professional players are trying to get one up on each other um, at every moment in every game. But yeah, some of these decisions are are very very odd. No, I I, I agree. In our match, John Moss. Um, who I I, I, th- I think is one of probably the most um, hated referees in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, every single club seems to think he's got he's got something in for them, um, and that is purely because he does give terrible decisions almost every game. He is he's just not up to scratch, um, and I think that's the problem. Really, you know, the, the, there is a lack of confidence in refereeing ability. People. Yes, there's more scrutiny of them these days than ever before. And yes, there are more camera angles so we can see every little uh, mistake magnified and replayed time after time. And that obviously, um, you know, it, it, it exaggerates every every failing, really. But I do think the point still stands that referees, uh, we've got a lot of referees in the Premier League who just aren't good enough to be there. Um, I think I think that's one of the problems. Um I mean, tomorrow in the Merseyside derby, Anthony Taylor's going to be taking charge. He's one of the ones I don't think is up to it. And with the controversy beforehand about him being selected, despite the fact that he's from Manchester, um, you know, the, the potential for that to turn into some massive big deal, um, it's, 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 it's there and it's obvious. But that's but what you're saying as well about the inconsistency. I mean, you've got actual, the, the inconsistencies, not just between different refs, but between different incidents, 
ruled by reps. Um, you said that about um, Roger East today in the um, in the Middlesbrough West Brom game where Byrahan uh, was on the yellow card and yeah. then it just manhandles success to the floor. Uh, just it, it's the most nailed on yellow card textbook book game ever, uh, and everybody's expecting Roger East to go to his pocket and mm. show him, and he doesn't do it. And 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 you know it was, and, and then. That's mad enough. But then a few minutes later, you actually see um, a, a, a challenge which is a similar kind of challenge, but not actually quite as blatant. Um, oh, and another player gets a yellow card for it. I mean, that's the kind of thing that that really does infuriate you because obviously the key what what happened there was that um, Roger East had bottled it. It was gutless. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a referee that was not strong enough in his own convictions and too scared of the consequences um, to, of, of giving a red card. Um, and that's worrying when the referees are in that, uh, you know, genuinely scared to make big decisions. Um, that's when you really start wondering, well, hang on, you know, how are they, are they actually up to the job here? Um because Guto, you know, do you, sorry, do you think that there's a there's there's a scenario where referees actually think uh, actually that player has been booked, so I'm not going to give him a second yellow for that. But whereas anywhere else on the pitch, that a player making a challenge who hadn't been booked would get that booking, would get that yellow card. Well, that was definitely the case with Roger East. I mean, if, yeah. it, it would have been an easy decision if Byron wasn't on a yellow card already. But, but that shouldn't make any difference, should it? Shouldn't. It shouldn't. It absolutely shouldn't. It's ridiculous. It's the kind of thing that does anger supporters. And in the yeah. end, Watford went on to win the game. Um, it was an awful game, by the way. If anybody, if anybody didn't watch it, it was one of the worst games you'll see in the Premier League this season. Absolutely terrible to watch. It was appalling, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, Watford went on to win, so it didn't decide the game. But these kind of things do decide games. Um, yeah. You know, jo- John Moss yesterday... Sent off Shaka. Okay, it didn't make it, Arsenal held on for the win, but you know that that mistake could have easily seen us get a drop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's not right. It's if these the, they have a massive responsibility, and if they have this kind of responsibility, then they need to um, they, they need to be up to the job. And there was a time, I, I think, looking back about ten years now, I, I think the Premier League had the best referees in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. That certainly isn't the case anymore when you compare it with other leagues. Um, generally speaking, I don't think we're we're up to the same standards. Yeah. Do you guys think that the better way to kind of narrow this range of outcomes would be just more instruction for the referees? Or would you be interested in, in trying what they've been trying in their divisi, where they've started implementing video refereeing in some matches? I think that's the way forward, video refereeing, because there's getting to be so much at stake in the game now. And I don't think the players really help the situation by trying to get one over every point in every game. You know, the way they, the players dive, you know, different different things throughout a game you see so many times. And that doesn't make the referee's job any easier. It, make, it makes it so much harder than the job already is. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to make it sound like um, your referees don't make mistakes because they do. I, I just think sometimes it needs to be a bit more open. I think, you know, when managers can come out after a game 
and go live on TV and criticise a referee. Players can come out and be interviewed after a game and be asked questions about why they missed a penalty and stuff like that. I wonder whether referees should be able to go on TV and be interviewed as well. And, you know, for them to explain to people, well, I made that decision because of this or because of that and whether that's right or wrong because players make mistakes in games they have to explain you know on in front of the tv camera maybe maybe that is maybe that is too um too open but i think video refereeing is i I, personally i think it's a way forward it may interrupt games a little bit but i think it does have to be implemented in a way which is right for football because football is a game which is generally uh, a flowing uh, sport, isn't it? It's it's not stop and start like there are you know, sports in America, like we know we know only too well, Kev. Um, but it, I think it can be done, but it can be done in the right way. I mean, I think goal line technology was something implemented, which was that was goal line technology really needed? I, I still question whether that was something really worthwhile doing mm-hmm. because how many times in a, in a course of a season is that actually used to decide whether there was a goal or not? Um, I just wonder whether it could have been used uh, could have been used in a different way to, you know, to, for for video replays to to be done. But yeah, I, I and I and I do wonder sometimes whether there's a view that because it's so easy for a player to be given a yellow card, whether there should be a new a change to that method. In that maybe maybe there should be three yellow cards or different types of cards. But obviously that adds more confusion because referees obviously can't implement the rules that they change in the summer to a new season now, let alone implementing something like that. But I just wonder whether it should be more a case of three yellow cards before you get a red card or depending on, you know, what, what the offence is perhaps. But there's so many ideas out there and options. It's, you know, it's, you could be changing things or changing state. But I think some, something that does, does need to be done um, to help the referees a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't know what the Eredivisie model is, um, but uh, so I'm not familiar with that, so I can't really comment on it. But I do think it's time to consider um, expanding video technology in football. Every other sport does it. Um, I think you know you can you can learn from other sports and see what would work in football, what wouldn't. Um, I, I mean, rugby gets criticised a lot for the fact that uh, video technology slows things down a lot. It, it, you know, you find yourself in a situation where every couple of minutes, oh, the referee says, "Oh, sorry, let's go upstairs and, and check the check, check the video to see if there was, you know, anything dodgy there." And so, you know, takes away a bit of the referee's responsibility. But I, uh, I, I, I think when you when you look at put it this way, I, I was out in the Euros uh, over the summer, and there were uh, we played against Wales, played against Slovakia in Bordeaux. And there was an incident in that match where um, Martin Skirtle, um was trying to sort of shadow a ball out of play and Johnny Williams was uh, was chasing him and making life difficult. Um, mm. And then as the ball is about to go, uh, as the ball is about to go out for a goal kick, Johnny Williams made a run for it, trying to keep it in. And Skirtle just steps across him and elbows him in the head. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, and by accident, the stadium showed the incident on mm. the screen, which they shouldn't have. Uh, but it drew a massive reaction from the fans. The you know, fans were mm-hmm. furious, uh, and they quickly realised what they'd done and, and took it off. But you, you think if we did have video technology in football, the referee could have just looked up and seen that and said, oh, hang on, we're going to stop playing, we're going to have a look at that again, and Skittle would probably have been sent off for that. Um, mm. You know, So it's, it's not something that has to take ages. You could actually have somebody upstairs just checking it back very quickly and informing the referee 
mid-game, oh, I, hang on, I think you should go back and have a look at this, um, just just to be sure, or something like that. Or even, you know, a challenge um, system like like you yeah. have, you know, in, in tennis or the NFL or something, you know, where, say, a, a, a team has, like, two challenges that they can have um, d- during a game where they, they, they say, okay, ref, we want we want to have a, a, we want you to reconsider that with the aid of video technology. And if the referee sticks by his decision, then you lose a challenge or something like that. But it, uh, you know, it's up to the managers then to decide um, whether or not they feel it's worth challenging. So you'd only have a, a handful of cases each match where, where that would happen. But there are different options out there, and I think it is about time that we do look at these options and think, um, you know, how these could be introduced to football because we we've got such an amazing array of technology at our disposal. Um, it would be silly not to at least try them out and at least see if um, if there is a, a practical way of using them without ruining the excitement of a game. Yeah, I just uh, I'm kind of torn on this because, uh, as you mentioned, Gito, they should be learning from other sports. But Jay, I'm sure you'll know they're kind of similar issues in the NFL right now as we're witnessing here, where basically nobody knows what a catch is anymore. Because they've, they've, <laughs> yeah. they've specified the rule so much that now there's more interpretation. But also, with everything being reviewable, it slowed down play. Mm. And it's okay in a sport that's as static as American football, where it's a burst of activity, then everybody has a few minutes anyway to decide mm. what's happening. But in a game like football, it's happening so quickly. Then the question is, how is the decision made? I know you said you weren't sure about goal line technology. And I agree to an extent but the way it's been done has been done very well, where it isn't oh, stopping yeah, play. The referee just gets it on his watch, and it's like, oh, yeah. I know we missed it then, but there it is, goal. Like uh, yeah. Bentaleb just scored a goal for Schalke this week, where play continued on for two or three seconds, and then he just points to his watch, points to the spot, and everybody just runs back and you know mm-hmm. restarts play. So if it could be something like that, if it could be more specific, because you don't just want the referee's wrist buzzing all the time. And it's like, what? What's that? I don't know. Oh, be home for dinner at six o'clock. Um. No, you're, you're so you're, you know you're so right, Kevin, saying that because you know football is such a free flowing sport anyway. Um, you know during a game, other than fouls and stuff like that, but even that gets going quickly anyway. But it's difficult to compare it to NFL because the NFL is so such stop and start anyway. The the, the manner of the game and the way it's played anyway. But it, it would have to be implemented in a way that would suit the game. Um, yeah, Guso mentioned the the challenge. You know that that that's that's a very good idea um, because they've implemented that well in cricket, uh, for example, and, and that's 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 been very good because it's down to the team and 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 the captain on the pitch or or, or the player that's you know been involved and they they choose to um, you know for it to go upstairs and I think it's uh, I think it's two each innings uh, might, might be three I can't remember now um, and that that seems to work very well because that is such a technical sport very much very similar to um, some others that use that type of thing but um, for football it would have to be carefully implemented I think to make sure that it doesn't affect the game too much but it it does affect it in the right manner if 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 you get what i'm saying yeah i certainly do and uh if video refereeing is the way to go going forward i think that'd be interesting it seems to have Mm. been going well in the netherlands i also haven't yet been able to catch a full match of it in use but i'll tell you this if it hadn't worked we'd we'd have heard about it yeah definitely (laughs) i did hear something earlier on actually i didn't actually get the whole um the whole the 
the whole interview, but they were talking about a green card. Have you heard anything about that? A green card? Yeah, in the sure Serie B, being. it's for fair play. Uh, uh, and, like, the first one was ever given, I think it was this past week, yeah. And, yeah, that's uh, right. So it's, it's like, I don't know, like helping up opponents or getting up quickly after you've had a tackle put in on you. Stuff like that. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how it works. I, I remember I at one say. point somebody <laughs> speculating and saying um, maybe uh, it would, like, negate a yellow card. Like, if you'd been given a yellow card and you got a green card, then you'd be back to, like, <laughs> neutral. I don't know if that's actually the case or not. But so, that's, if, so, that's if get, a, so if you help an opponent up and get a green card, you can two-foot somebody later in the game and you won't get a red card. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll have to find out more about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll learn more about that before we continue touching on that particular <laughs> aspect. But I think we we've all agreed that um, a it's not entirely the referee's fault that the rule book has been. Well, I'm not gonna say we all agree. I don't want to speak for you guys, <laughs> but for me, it feels kind of like the NFL, where at a certain point there's a diminishing return on specificity and rules. Because the, the further crazy specific you get, you have people like Mike Dean, who's following the literal letter of the law, but it it's kind of betrays the spirit of it. And then people that are kind of ignoring the literal version, and that's where we get this divide where we have different referees making entirely different calls, which is, is honestly just unacceptable when – uh, Gito, you mentioned it can be the difference in winning and losing. And then, of course, at the end of the season, that's the difference in millions and millions of pounds. That can be the difference between promotion and relegation from the championship and everything. So it can just it, – these decisions can be massive come the end of the season. And so I think everybody needs to do their best to make sure that we're getting them right. And certainly, right now, we are not. All right, now we are going to head into Player Watch, where we're each going to have a few seconds to discuss the players that have impressed and disappointed in our most recent fixture. As always, if there was not a player that you thought disappointed, or if there wasn't one that impressed you, you could talk about somebody from the other team that did either. We'll start with you, Jay. Um, yeah, I mean, the disappointing game, as I mentioned, but uh, I think the one player, that, there's probably a few that disappointed me, actually, uh, in general, but I think the one player... I think it's probably happened over a few games, actually, is Damien Delaney. He's not getting any younger. He's been a real stalwart in our team. And there's no, there's nothing to say about his commitment to the team in, in the slightest at all. But I think he's getting to that stage now where Tomkins yesterday had a very good game for Palace um, against his former team. He's kind of gradually getting himself... Um, well, he's, he's back to full fitness, which is great after his uh, pre-season injury over in the States. And he's vying for a place in starting 11 and, and for me I think it's only a matter of time before Tomkins ends up being the partner for or you know the, the permanent partner for Scott Dan in, in a centre-back role and yeah it's no disgrace to Damien Delaney because I think when we got promoted that season I never expected Delaney to last like he has I thought he'd be one player that would really suffer in the Premier League but it's been complete opposite it's been fantastic for us in the four seasons um, but it's just getting to a point now where age is catching up with him a little bit and it's really not helping us too much at the back I mean he had a great game the other week you know he is he, a good he, he, he loves a good block um, he's, he's an excellent defender from that respect but he was getting beaten by a header after header by um, West Ham Zaza who Zaza's not done anything all season and he had he played he had a really good game yesterday it was a real pain for the defence um, and he really struggled against him um, as a backup he'd be great you know for us you know, to come in if Tompkins or, or Dan misses a game whenever but I think it's getting to the point now where that 
when Dan's fully fit, that change needs to be made. So, um, but it is a shame because he's a he's a fan favourite of Palace. Um, but um, it's it's been great for us, you know, today anyway. Um, as for the player that impressed, I mentioned Jason Puncher earlier. Jason Puncher was fantastic yesterday. Just he's just one of those players that he was so willing to always go and get the ball from defence, and he was he was so. So looking for that killer pass, trying to get us going, trying to get us going forward, and just nothing was working. Um, I would say him, along with um, Johan Gabay, that second half came on and he really opened the game up for us and you know got us close to getting back into the game, but not 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 quite. But it was probably his uh, his best showing for us this season. So hopefully that's good good for us going forward as well. All right, and get to uh, for the Swans, the, the one that stood out probably Modubaro. Um, I, I thought he was probably our best player yesterday, and uh, it's it, it's good to see because he had a horrible game against Liverpool uh, before the international break. Um, he was um, largely a fault for the, for conceding the penalty in that match, and nothing went went his way. He was making terrible decisions, um, but against Arsenal, especially in the second half, he used his pace fantastically. Uh, it made a difference that usually it was just one on one him against Monreal, which he prefers. He, he, if he's in that situation, he loves it. He has the freedom. He can go past him, etc. Against Liverpool, they stuck two men on him, uh, sometimes three, and it just killed him. Um, but you know, when, when criticizing Barrow, sometimes we say, "Oh, his end product is enough to scratch." Um, but you know, he, he set up uh, the second for the Swans um, and set up one or two other good chances, uh, which probably should have resulted in goals. Um, so I, th- I thought he was. I thought he was back to the Modubaro that um, we know and who you know gets you off your seat and, and really gets you loving football. Um, you know, every team needs just a crazy little nutter on the wing who will just run and run and run and run and and just take on players. I think you know every team needs somebody like that. Um, but in terms of disappointment, I'll go for. I'll probably go for Federico Fernandez. Um, He's not had a good season anyway. Uh, he's been making a lot of mistakes. The partnership with Amat just hasn't been working at all. The, the two of them look extremely uncomfortable playing together. And over the last few games, he's been injured. And uh, Mike van der Horn has been in the team. And he's looked far more solid alongside Amat than, than Fernandez. And it was a very strange decision, I thought, to bring Fernandez back into the team yesterday. Uh, and, you know, not, not only did he have a bad game, um, and, and he really was shaky from start to finish and, and didn't do very much right. Um, but but he does also make life difficult for Amat, and he make he makes Amat the worst player because Amat had his worst game for a while yesterday. He was at fault um, for the for the first goal uh, and um, looked pretty ropey throughout. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not sure why Fernandez was brought back into the team, and hopefully. Um, he he'll stay on the bench um, over the coming games because Van der Horn he's he's just better in every single way. He's not a great athlete. He's pretty slow, but he's just solid. He'll do the basics right, which Fernandez just doesn't do. You cannot rely on him, sadly. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Modu Barrow. Uh, I was pretty big on him in fantasy circles coming into the week because he had the second most successful crosses behind Jay's very own Andros Townsend. I know Barrow isn't the uh, is kind of on the younger side. What do you think his upside is? Is he just going to kind of always be that pacey 
guy or do you think he'll develop into something more? Uh, I, my gut feeling is he's always going to just rely very heavily on his pace. Um, you know, his end product improved, but it's still not up to Premier League standard, really. Um, you know, the, the, the amount of crosses they put in, um, you know, really, we should be looking at the standards of those crosses. They're not, generally speaking, they're not, they're not great. But he's, you know, like he can, he can have games like against Arsenal where, you know, these crosses were finding Swans players in the middle. Um, he does need to improve his consistency with his end product. There's no doubt about that. But I, don't, I don't think he's ever going to be, um, you know, a, a really brilliant Champions League quality or even Europa League quality player. I think um, he's just a very basic, a very good dribbler, um, got incredible pace. Um, and every now and again, he will pop up with a goal or an assist. You know, that that is what he is. For the Swans, it's important. He's important just because we lack pace as a team, and he has he has tons of it. So um, you know, we, when when everything else is working, you can just pass the ball to him, and he'll go, and he'll just run it. And um, you know, as as basic as that may sound, it does make a difference. Right, and uh, for Tottenham, I'd say the player that impressed uh, played for West Brom. I, I think. Uh, Ben Foster had a ridiculous match. There was a tweet that was floating around the Tottenham circles, and I'm sure fans of other teams will feel the same way as well, but uh, the two best keepers in the world are Manuel Neuer and anyone playing against Tottenham. Um, certainly had the feel of that today, though Foster has, has been a fairly good keeper in his day, uh, was able to keep basically anything out that, that we were really offering. For a player that disappointed for us, I'd say it's probably Musa Sissoko. Uh not that he does specifically his job poorly, but it just seems like it doesn't impact the game at all. He'll have some good runs down the right, um, get into dangerous spaces, but nothing really ever comes of it. And that that's getting very frustrating uh, for a team that's kind of struggling to support Jansen in any meaningful way. So I uh, would love to see more from him. I think once Dembele is back, we won't really see much of him um, just because then it means Ali would need to step up a level in the attack. So he'd probably be in that three behind whoever the forward is. But uh, yeah, Sissoko, he hasn't been the abject failure that I thought he'd be, but he certainly has not helped out the team the way many had hoped. All right, and we actually have a little bit of time here left, so I'm going to kind of put us all on the spot with a match preview uh, of the Liverpool-Manchester United match, if you don't mind. Uh how do you think that one will go? Yeah, interesting matchup, really. Liverpool are very good to watch at the moment. Um, good attack inside, although they're letting goals. So, um, as a neutral, they're fun to watch. It reminds me of uh, the old Newcastle team that were close to winning a title several years ago now with Kevin Keegan in charge. Uh, very similar to them. They would always outscore the opposition. Um, and they normally normally higher scoring goals but would that rarely keep a clean sheet um united you just don't know what to get what you're going to get from united they seem to be a team who one week they would like beat the champions you know leicester four nil uh, you know at their own grounds easily and effectively and then um you know that you get the same side that would lose to to watford away which you know no disrespect disrespect to watford that's Games at United should really be should really be winning if they have um, you know dreams of winning a title this year. So I, I don't think they're 
going to go that close, really, for me. Um, I, I fancy Liverpool to win this one, actually. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jurgen Klopp. I think he's doing great things at Liverpool. Um, might be too soon for a title challenge this season, maybe. I could be wrong. Um, but I, he's doing good things at Liverpool, and um, they're on the right track. United, not sure whether Mourinho and United are the best fit, to be quite honest with you. Um, see, they spent a lot of money, not quite happening just yet but you know it could it seems like an odd mixture of players there um i think they probably need to attend to their back line a little bit more um perhaps they will do in january but so i've got i'm going for liverpool in this one yeah i'm looking forward to this one it's gonna really i think tell us quite a lot about both of these sides because it's it 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 is a a huge game um liverpool fans must be relishing it because they they probably think that this is uh, as good a chance as they've had in a while to beat Man United. Um, I mean, in in recent seasons, I don't think it's been too much fun for them, has it? Um, I, I'm, I think playing at home um, and the way they have been playing, especially at home, um, I, I mean, they they could really do a lot of damage to United. Um, uh, the the pace in there. Um, in, in their attacks and the movement, it's it, it is brilliant to watch. Um, United, it's it's such a strange one of them because they, they there was a lot expected of United this this season, um, despite the fact that they you know missed out on the Champions League last year. It, it they're suddenly expected to to challenge for the title, and I think Mourinho is probably finding that you know spending quite a lot of money isn't quite enough there, there needs to be that work on a more fundamental basis um I, I mean you spoke there jay about the back four um how on earth daily blint starts in man united's back four i don't know it, mm. he's yeah. not you know he's, he's not I, I just don't think especially center back um i don't i don't think if that's you know the kind of player you want playing in your back in, in at center back if you if you've got aspirations of winning the title um for some reason, I am going to sit on the fence and say I, I think it could be a two-all draw. I think um, I, 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 there should be plenty of goals. Liverpool, Liverpool, for all their attacking brilliance, they do have big problems at the back. Um, they, they really, they, they'll always give you chances. They, they, they're far too open. Um, and when you look at the players that Man United have got, um, you know that they've got they've got plenty of um, of, of goal-scoring ability there. Um, I, I, it's you know, I, I, I can see it being a bit of a crazy one. Um, hopefully, it lives up to the hype. Although, with the amount of hype there's been, I think that's quite impossible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll go for, I'll, I'll go for uh, a draw and sit, and sit on the fence. Yeah, excellent points being made all around here. Although, Gitto, uh, Daily Blint was in Manchester United's back line for 30 games in the Premier League last season, and they had the second best defense. Although it was at centre back. I agree that his they his did, they did also have um, a, a seriously defensive uh, approach, true, which, which which spoiled their season really because they 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 couldn't attack. Um, so he had a lot of protection from midfield uh, last yeah. season, which which he's not getting this season because they have a midfield full of number tens. True, that is that is certainly true, including Paul Pogba, who's already publicly come out and said that their tactics are too defensive for him to thrive. Which is, uh, wow, that, isn't this a bit early on the Mourinho clock for players to start <laughs> complaining publicly? 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I certainly agree uh, with UJ on the Liverpool replicating 2013, where it's all the same strengths, all the same weaknesses. They're going to score a bundle of goals. How many can they keep from allowing <laughs> in is really the big question. Um, I do think they've made a massive improvement at uh, goalkeeper, switching to Lloris Karius. Uh, he, unlike Simo Mignolet, is able to keep out at least some shots that are on target. Uh, for those that don't remember, Mignolet allowed five of the first six shots he faced this year into the back of his net. Um, so those are like, well, Simulay's a known quantity. He's plays for Belgium sometimes. He should be starting. Uh, not so much. Um, so that has improved. Lovren has gotten to be better than his first year at Liverpool, but is still nowhere near his one great year at Southampton. So that must be frustrating for them. But going forward, they're so dangerous, especially when they play Firmino up front, even though it does negate his uh, performance to an extent. It just opens everything else up for the team. Uh, we did a whole show about uh, that tactic and how that works. So uh, <laughs> go check that one out if you want to hear more about that. But I just don't see how Manchester United are going to keep them from scoring. I think that regardless of who they play Pogba with, it's not defensive enough. Um, I love Schneiderlin, but he's not actually a defensive midfielder. I love Ander Herrera and think he's one of the best passers of the ball in the Premier League. He's not defensive at all. And so, Gitto, I do agree with you there that it's just a whole bunch of creative midfielders, which does not offer much protection for that back line at all. Uh, and, you know, Manchester United haven't kept a clean sheet the last four weeks. I certainly doubt they do so here. So questions will start to be asked about those negative tactics of Mourinho because it's all well and good when those negative tactics are working and you're picking up three points every week, but they've not been. Um, so definitely questions to be asked there. And, and as I, I joked about earlier, but seriously, it is a little too early for Mourinho to be in this kind of trouble already. Um, obviously, if they win, this whole narrative goes to the wayside. But if they don't, I, I think there could be a bit of an inquisition at Manchester United. All right, and that will do it for us today. So, uh, guys, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you? Yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeat.com. We've had actually a fantastic article. It's really worth checking out if you're Palace fans or just general football fans, particularly Liverpool fans, actually. We've got an interview with um, the head of sports um, medicine science at Palace, uh, former Liverpool doctor, uh, Dr. Zafar Iqbal. So it's really good read, so worth checking out. So you can go to TheEaglesBeat.com. You can get me at TheEaglesBeat on Twitter. And I'm also presenter of a local community radio show called uh, The Back of the Net Football Show. You can get me on there at underscore BOTN live underscore. Follow me on Twitter at Get Us Willing, or if you want to catch up on the Jackcast, uh, you can find that at the Jackcast. Uh, we should be recording our latest podcast in the next few days, so that should be going up soon. Awesome, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. You can find my writings at TheEaglesBeak.com. Uh, also, check out the FPL and Championship Roundtables, which you can find both on this channel. Also, the FPL crew, me and Rob Langevin, now do a weekly video for VIP Bet, where we talk about all the DFS prices and matchups over there, uh, where two people that we upped this week were Modu Barrow and Ryan Mason. So that has gone well, uh, so be sure to check that out. Uh, I'm sure there are other things I'm forgetting at the moment. Oh, right, the, these now go up. Uh, not only on iTunes, but also on a live radio service called All In Sports Talk, which you can find at All In Sports Talk on Twitter and at allinsportstalk.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Hold up. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.